But I'll tell you honestly what I think the most important problem is and where I want to play at least some role. And that is that the average American to a significant degree is giving up on government. The measure the values that a country has by how it treats its mamas and its babies. And the United States for 25 years has profoundly failed on this front. We have failed our mamas, we have failed our babies. Welcome to Policy Please, where we cover politics from the progressive left. I'm Steve Furdeck. And I'm Paul Nelson. We're definitely planning on recording things a little bit more bi-weekly, I think. Uh, yeah, bi- bi-weekly sounds good. We're, we're definitely going to want to move towards having a more regular release of material here. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And we're also going to be, you know, releasing a lot more inf- uh, media on our YouTube page. We got a little bit of views there when we uploaded our podcast. We thought it'd be nice for the viewers uh you know, chop up some of the segments, have some, you know, short clips you can listen to without having to power through the whole podcast when you don't have time. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, impeachment as it uh, hits the Senate as of last week. We'll talk about what's going on there. Uh, we also want to talk about Bernie surge that's been going on, you know, amidst all the all the turbulence his, his uh, campaign's been getting hit with. But we definitely want to start out most of our podcasts with a summary on what's going on in the Democratic race. Got the polls here for us. Now, you know, we really want to focus on the next two that are coming up coming up just today. Um, Iowa, which is February 3rd, and New Hampshire, which is February 11th. So if you're in those states, make sure you're registered to vote. Get out there and go vote. But, I mean... You know, we've seen a, a big surge for Bernie. Uh, he's just the last two weeks in Iowa. He's pretty much closed the gap against Joe Biden. Uh, on average, he's had 18 points where Biden's at, at 21. But I've seen a lot more polls recently that are more skewed towards Bernie. You know, it's closer to Biden. Even in some of those polls, Bernie's got a, a small gap on him. And and same thing in New Hampshire. Uh, he's he's been He's been maintaining the lead going up. Uh, still beating out Joe pretty decently uh, on average, but he, there are tons of polls recently that are just showing a, a larger gap. Yeah, um, I one thing I definitely tend to look at a lot in terms of gauging uh, the popularity of a potential candidate can be, the, and I, this sounds kind of basic, but their uh, Google Trends in terms of search results. And so as of the past two weeks, Bernie Sanders has held number one in terms of Democratic candidates in search results popularity, while right under him would be Elizabeth Warren at number two, Joe Biden at number three, and Andrew Yang number four, Michael Bloomberg at number five. I just find it's a little easier to, to follow some of the search trends. and it, I feel like it's drawing from a much larger sample size than your average poll. I, I know it's, it's not as accurate in terms of would you vote for this candidate or are you just interested in finding out about say the uh, some of that Elizabeth Warren Bernie Sanders democratic debate beef I still think it can gauge average popularity for them no definitely definitely and even that it includes you know going to their websites going to their their social media pages uh, you know all that stuff's tracked they they have all the analytics for all of that but it definitely shows where what the kind of information people are looking for now could be a bad thing could be a good thing but you know overall tension's good for a candidate like that You know, polls aside, I do know the media has had a certain take on the Bernie candidacy that has at times been kind of exclusionary. Yeah. And 
for a while we experienced a Bernie blackout where CNN wasn't talking about him. MSNBC wasn't talking about him. Nobody was really taking him serious. But just like a month ago, it came out from the DNC. A lot of people in the Obama camp, people that, you know, in Obama's administration, kind of came out and said they were realizing how much momentum Bernie was gaining. And he actually has a shot of winning the whole thing. Uh, And then after that, I kind of had the sense of, well, the blackout's over. Now come the attacks. Uh, And sure enough... You got attacks coming from the mainstream media, like CNN. You have attacks coming from from other candidates, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren. But what's what's really concerning to me is the attacks that would come out from CNN on a debate night. They moderated the last presidential debate. Watching through it, I thought the questions seemed a little ridiculous, I guess. Uh, I'll play one real quick from the CNN debate. They are questioning Bernie about an issue that Warren said, that Bernie said a woman couldn't beat Trump. That one was definitely an interesting clip and really does highlight their bias towards him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll run that right now. Let's not turn to an issue that's come up in the last 48 hours. Senator Sanders, CNN reported yesterday that, and Senator Sanders, Senator Warren confirmed in a statement that in 2018, you told her that you did not believe that a woman could win the election. Why did you say that? Well, as a matter of fact, I didn't say it. Uh, And I don't want to waste a whole lot of time on this, because this is what Donald Trump and maybe some of the media want. Uh, Anybody knows me knows that it's incomprehensible that I would think that a woman could not be president of the United States. Go to YouTube today. There's a video of of me 30 years ago talking about how a woman could become president of the United States. In 2015, I deferred, in fact, to Senator Warren. There was a movement to draft Senator Warren to run for president. And you know what? I said, stayed back. Senator Warren decided not to run, and I did, I did run afterwards. Senator Sanders, Senator Sanders, I do want to be clear here. You're saying that you never told Senator Warren that a woman could not win the election. That is correct. Senator Warren? What did you think when Senator Sanders told you a woman could not win the election? I disagreed. Bernie is my friend, and I am not here to try to fight with Bernie. So just from the framing coming from CNN there, I mean, it's clear either they didn't listen to what he had to say or that whole thing was planned out. It seemed deliberate. Yep, yep. She said, let me let me just be clear here. Uh, you know, you, you never said this, right? Mm-hmm. And then she turns and reiterates the fact that he's said it. Yep. And so she paints the lie and then, you know, passes it over to Elizabeth Warren to let her validate it, which she goes on to do, uh, you know, which is, is just frustrating. I mean, what's Bernie supposed to do when they ask him that question? Do you, A, acknowledge it? and give it credence and deny it, you know, and give it airtime? Or do you be ignore it and go straight to trying to talk about part of your platform, you know, and, and, and use the debate for what it's supposed to be used for in, in explaining your campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a tough decision. I think he handled it pretty well, explained that, you know, he had previously even, you know, deferred to Elizabeth Warren during 2015 before he chose to run in 2016. So, 
I don't know. It kind of falls flat, and it's not going to fare well for Elizabeth Warren for a lot of folks that are watching closely in these kind of moments. Yeah, absolutely not. And I think his base, and even people who aren't his base, like how he handled the situation because he had a record night for fundraising that night. Every attack that they throw at him, he he just has record nights of fundraising. I think a lot of people are seeing through it. A lot of people are upset with mainstream media in general, which is why you know a lot of smaller independent left wing and right even right wing you know YouTube channels and political talk shows are popping up because you know people are looking for for some for some truth. And you know Elizabeth Camp isn't the only isn't the only camp going at him. Um, Biden launched a recent campaign attack on him. He was upset that Bernie. Bernie's campaign had kind of gone after him on Social Security. He had previously supported some form of cuts on on Social Security, at the least, even in the in the Obama administration. And you know the Bernie camp went on him for that. You know that's a that's a big that's a big thing. That's important. But I do think he is feeling the heat a little bit as as Bernie's creeping closer to him in the polls. I am going to run a run a little audio clip here of a reporter in Iowa asking him, you know, why did you why did you put out an attack on Bernie after he he apologized for his social security calls? Really quick, just to like set a little context, it isn't in, in fact true that Joe Biden has advocated for cutting social security for like the last forty years. He's argued for cuts or freezes. There have been several instances of this throughout his career. The Intercept just yesterday, they released an article about his record on Social Security, some of the ways he's previously lied about it. And so Bernie is in his right to have called him out on his record regarding Social Security and other public programs. But in the clip, he goes on to just patently deny it. Like we don't have like a like a record of his voting and previous statements. But yeah, roll roll that clip. Yeah, yeah. Well, yesterday, yesterday you said you accepted Bernie's apology, and now you're attacking him. Why are you doing that? Why wasn't his apology enough, Mr. Vice President? Why, why attack Sanders? Why, 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 why? You're getting nervous, man. Calm down. It's okay. He apologized for saying that I was corrupt. He didn't say anything about whether or not I was telling the truth about Social Security. Thank you guys. Why, 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 Coming off a little unhinged there. I think you might be getting a little nervous leading up. And on top of that, with the impeachment hearings going on, the right is going to talk a lot about the Biden family. And I think that's going to bleed over into his run. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was saying it during the impeachment hearings while they were in the intelligence committee. Yeah. And, and so while the impeachment hearings were still in the intelligence committee, this would be a terrible thing for Biden if he becomes the nominee. Having had his name, his son's name, uh, you know, even just drug through the mud during that whole interaction. And they didn't really come out clean at the end of the day. No. Yeah, it's going to be terrible, you know, and they're going to have, you know, the same amount of mud to sling from the impeachment to Biden as they would Trump ultimately, you know. And so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just doesn't doesn't look good for either of them. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Like, let's say Joe did get the nomination. You know, they'd have the same ammo towards each other. It's regardless of whether Hunter Biden or Biden are even guilty or non guilty of those things. It they'll still use that as ammunition towards them. You know, Joe. He was vice president. I think he should have hung it up after that. He he was he remained in a good light, especially with the public. You know, 
public genuine like generally favored Obama, and, and Joe goes along with, with that. But I think now he's he's digging himself a bunch of holes. He's running his popularity a bit thin, you know, trying to rest on his laurels of the the Obama administration, and it's just not going to fare well for him. It's not a whole lot to rest on, honestly. I do, I do know that not only did does Biden largely have it out for Bernie as well as the larger mainstream media complex, but uh, Elizabeth Warren has at a time or two taken a crack at Bernie. There was the moment in you know one of the previous debates wherein uh, there was a hot mic, right, and Warren was you know heard having said to Bernie, "Did you just did you just lie lie about me on national television?" Mm-hmm. and and confronts him about it. Yeah, so it's just, it's a strange moment. Definitely an awkward moment. That's probably the first word that comes to mind yeah. when I when I saw it. Yeah, and you'll actually be able to hear that. I'll, I'll run that right now. I think you called me a liar on national TV. What? I think you called me a liar on national no. TV. Let's not do it right now. You want to have that discussion, we'll have that Any discussion. Time? You called me a liar. You told me. All right, let's not do it I'm now. Not, I don't want to get in the middle of it. I just want to say hi, Bernie. Yeah, good. Okay. Same. Poor Tom Steyer at the end of that clip, though. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. He, you know, walks up to kind of break it up and shakes, uh, extends a hand to Bernie to shake it and say, oh, I don't want to get in the middle of this, but hi, Bernie. Yeah. I just want to say hi. He's like, oh, God, yeah. God, whatever. He doesn't want anything to do with the, the billionaire. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. It was a fun little clip. Warren being my strong second pick. It's a little disheartening to see her like, have these kind of moments just because it doesn't look good for her, especially amongst like progressives. I it, it's just honestly weird to hear her ripping on Bernie when in fact uh, it has helped them both previously when they've stood together on issues. Yeah, so. there seemed to be like an unspoken pact between the two as like the leading progressive candidates. Um, I'm genuinely curious on what kind of campaign staff she has. I think there's a lot of calls coming in from within that staff on some of these. You know, whether it's the the call about, you know, the the Bernie staffer that or the guy that was out talking and he was giving out talking points about Warren, about how her she doesn't bring in any new voters and that being a talking point against Warren when you're knocking on doors. Um, Second time was saying that a woman couldn't couldn't beat Trump. You know, these I, I think these are calls from her team to kind of show strength that she can stand up to any of the candidates including bernie no yeah i mean i i see where you're going with it and it makes sense um at times it can be conducive to your campaign to you know go on the attack a little bit i mean it certainly seems like it's benefited bernie's campaign in the past couple weeks to have gone on the attack about social security Mm -hmm. in regards to joe biden and so just kind of digging up his past on it reinforcing the idea that in terms of social security Trump and Biden have been very similar, you know, in advocating, you know, um, cuts, freezes, you know, that kind of interruptions of the program, wherein one of the few candidates actually supporting an expansion and a reinforcement of Social Security has been Bernie Sanders. And so running on that will be great because, I mean, senior Americans make up a, a, a huge portion of the voting populace. If you want the people that turn out and vote, it's a lot of retirees, a lot of people that, you know, aren't having to call off. Election day still isn't a federal holiday. And so for a lot of folks, getting out to the polls is is difficult. But for a senior citizen, might be a whole lot easier. And so advocating on 
Social Security is a is a great move by the Sanders campaign, even if it is a little offensive. It's gonna it's working out for yeah. Him. No, absolutely, because it, it's a lot of his base is the younger demographic. So trying to reach on the opposite side there, broaden out your base a little bit more, uh, and and shed light on somebody that isn't in support of that, Joe Biden. Yeah, I'll amend my statement from saying like older Americans caring about Social Security to like all of us. You know, I'd like to see Social Security still exist by the time you know I reach retirement age. I can't fathom having to, you know, work until I die. That is terrifying. Absolutely. And and I, I kind of said it earlier, but all these attacks are good up for Bernie. I mean, he's he's getting mass amounts of donations sent to him, um, he, especially after, you know, the latest Hillary attack where she went on and said that, um, you know, nobody likes Bernie. And all I saw on Twitter was hashtag I like Bernie and tons of, you know, even celebrities coming out, you know, showing their support for Bernie Sanders. And that may, you know, also be contributed by their, their loathing of Hillary Clinton. I think it it showed how big his, his base really is. You know, when we're talking about the growth of the Bernie base, um, a recent development that's been in the news lately was Rogan's endorsement for, for Bernie saying that he plans on voting for Bernie Sanders um, it's been criticized by some as, uh, Rogan is, uh, in his past made some, uh, controversial remarks about, uh, um, about trans individuals mm-hmm. and, uh, others of the LGBTQ community. Others are saying that it's good to have his support. Rogan being one of the largest podcasters in history or the largest podcaster in history, largest audience. Yeah. We can't agree on everything with everyone. And, the coalition on the left has to be large if we're going to, um, you know, build a voting block that's going to be able to beat Trump. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, and that's the truth of it. And I, I, I found a clip on the internet. It, it's not streamlined of what Joe Rogan said on his podcast. Um, there's like a later clip that they tack on to the end of what he said, um, only because it's relevant of what he thinks of Bernie Sanders. I'm, I'm going to run that. Uh, this is his interview with Barry Weiss from the New York Times. She she's a, a, a large uh, Klobuchar and Warren supporter, um, and and she's kind of questioning on questioning Joe who he's going to vote for. Who are you going to vote for in the primary? I think I think I'll probably vote for Bernie. Him as a human being. When I was hanging out with him, and yeah. I, I believe in him. I like him. I like him a lot. What Bernie stands for is a guy who. Well, look, you could you could dig up dirt on every single human being that's ever existed if you catch them in their worst moment and you magnify those moments and you cut out everything else and you only display display those worst moments. That said, you can't find very many with Bernie. He's been insanely consistent his entire life. He's basically been saying the same thing, been for the same thing his whole life. And that in and of itself is a very powerful structure to operate from. Probably. I mean, we're talking, I mean, he gets millions of views. It's such a, such a large base of different people just from the type of people he has on. You, you know, it's, it's not, it's pretty rarely politics. A lot of times he's got, you know, other MMA fighters um, being in, in UFC, um, he gets you know scientists on there, uh, astrologers, comedians, actors, um, 
but he does occasionally have on the the fringe right winger. Um, but then I, I do think it's it's pretty balanced by having people like Kyle Kalinsky, who's been on there multiple times. Um, Bernie's been on there. Yang's been on there. Tulsi's been on there. Uh, Edward Snowden was on there. I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Which was, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's just, you know, you're getting so much information. Like, you might not like Joe personally, and you might not like his politics or the way he thinks, um, but he is a great host. And he has some pretty incredible people on his show, um, in, in, including Bernie himself, you know, and it, it it showed when Bernie was on there or when he's talked to Bernie, his authenticity that Joe saw as just a normal dude. Yeah. And now we're going to we'll move on to to impeachment now. Trump Trump's uh, articles, the abuse of power and the obstruction of Congress. Both articles have been submitted from the House uh, to the Senate last week. They started their the opening trials for that. Um, Pelosi did hold on to the articles just for a few weeks. It, she said indefinitely, and there was tons of debate on on the length of that. But really, it was just just to pressure Mitch McConnell. Um, him and Lindsey Graham were on t- on TV stations um, talking about how this is going to be a speedy trial once they got the articles. Um, but, you know, really even just looking at the articles themselves, um, the abuse of power, that's for the, the case of Ukraine holding the funds. Um, they say that as, a, as abuse of power for the president. And then the obstruction of Congress, um, some people weren't really too sure on this. You know, this is for how Trump handled the impeachment, how he refused to testify, and most importantly, him blocking people within his administration to come and testify. Yeah, when he when he specifically directed the White House to defy a lawful subpoena, and uh, w- and by withholding the production of documents sought were uh, sought therein by the committees mm-hmm. uh, of the House of Representatives, um, you know he also directed other executive executive branch agencies and offices to defy lawful subpoenas and to withhold the production of documents and records from the committees. In response to that refusal, the Department of State, Office of Management and Budget, Department of Energy and the Department of Defense refused to produce a single document or record. And so it's been just kind of across like the entire executive branch. You know, um, we already have a, a good deal of evidence from the witnesses uh, that laid it out during the impeachment hearings that were taking place in the House. There are now completed articles of impeachment now need to be looked at and assessed by the Senate, who in one way refused to even look at the evidence that the House has gathered and on the other hand, they refused to um, interview any new witnesses that would bring about relevant facts um, and, you know, take in any new evidence like these documents that would that would answer a lot of the questions that um, people from both sides of the Senate floor are asking. Mm-hmm. And so it's frustrating, to say the least, just to kind of see it unfold. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, especially kind of already knowing the outcome of what's going to happen. Um, I, I, I do think... The two articles that they they, they came forth with, it, in the grand scheme of of his presidency, I think there are plenty of other, you know, articles they could have came up with, or even things to impeach him on. Um, oh, yeah. I, I think emoluments being the number one thing. I think corruption. I think obstruction of justice within the Mueller report, regardless if the outcome is him being found guilty or not guilty, um, but. Again, blocking people from coming in to testify. I think 
he is guilty of abuse of power. Um, I know the argument against the obstruction of Congress is that Trump should have the right to go to court and let the courts decide whether these people need to come forward. Um, now, whether you agree with it or don't agree with it, that's 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 the attack on it, and that's probably the weaker of the two, the two articles. Um, but I mean, so much evidence showing that the abuse of power is true. Yeah, I mean. It's important to look at how the framers never wrote the courts into our impeachment process, specifically because they likely understood that, you know, should the urgency call the urgency of an event call for an impeachment as opposed to just waiting until an election, we're not going to have the time to go through the courts in order to seek justice on this issue. Yeah. And it's not like we can't conduct a thorough investigation without going through the courts wherein they can they can you know slow down the trial to a, a pace that would take months if not years to complete and at that point um you know he could serve out his remaining presidency uh, the, the remainder of his presidency uh he could potentially be reelected and serve that out before we even see the resolution of these kind of court cases yep. and then what do we get at the end of it all it's it's crucially important that we reaffirm the idea that uh nobody in america is above the law not even the president of the United States. It's crucial that we not only impeach him, but we need to convict him, uh, remove him, and imprison him. Because if people don't face consequences for their actions like this, we set a dangerous precedent um, for the future. No, we absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you know, we have we have a few clips. Um, we got one from Nadler, uh, one from Chuck Schumer. Uh, and one from Merkley, um, mostly focusing on the importance of bringing in witnesses. Uh, McConnell's pretty much going to block all these and just, you know, push the vote through as quick as possible. Definitely won't be the length yeah. of the House, but. These guys are just trying to do their jobs, just trying to fulfill their constitutional duty of oversight, having a proper having a proper trial. You know, whoever heard of a trial without any witnesses or evidence? Exactly. It's insane. We would never be brought to trial, you and I, were we to be, you know, um, indicted for anything. We wouldn't be brought before a court and then given the the great benefit of having no evidence or witnesses brought before yeah. us. That'd be ridiculous. Yeah. Be unheard of. Or the power of executive privilege, you know. Yeah, which... I think there's been a few instances where people have explained that enacting their executive privilege because they would have to explain to certain cleared individuals why they were. And the very act of calling on their executive privilege to cover up something would require that they reveal what they look to cover up yeah. to the very agencies looking to. Yeah. So, you know, there's a main reason why they keep using the words executive privilege yet continue to dance around ever formally declaring. it. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, let's let's look at uh, some of the clips calling for the importance of witnesses by these senators just trying to do their job. Correct. Yeah, we'll start off with Nadler. The president is on trial in the Senate, but the Senate is on trial in the eyes of the American people. Will you vote to allow all of the relevant evidence to be presented here? Or will you betray your pledge to be an impartial juror? Will you bring Ambassador Bolton here? Will you permit us to present you with the entire record of the president's misconduct? Or will you instead choose to be complicit in the president's cover-up? So far, I'm sad to say, I see a lot of senators 
voting for a cover-up, voting to deny witnesses, an absolutely indefensible vote, obviously a treacherous vote, a, tr a, vo a vote against an honest consideration of the evidence of the, against the President, a vote against an honest trial, a vote against the United States. A real trial, we know, has witnesses. We urge you to do, the du to do your duty, permit a fair trial. All the witnesses must be permitted. That's elementary in American justice. Either you want the truth, or you, and you must permit the witnesses, or you want a shameful cover-up. History will judge, and so will the electorate. In, in Nadler's carrying over from the House, um, he's he's really oh, yeah. bringing the case for, from the House to the Senate, um, and their number one thing is bringing in the evidence, bringing in bringing in the witnesses. Um, you know, as as the Republicans control the Senate, they have control of all the rules, just similarly as House of Democrats had control of all the rules in the House. Whereas the the House Republicans, all they did was attack the rules, and all they did was attack. You know the system and and how it was being uh, pushed forward, but now they have the rules and they can they can bring in whoever they want, um, and they'll have the majority of people asking the questions. I mean, why not have them bring in even some of their own witnesses? Yeah, um, you know, really, this is the time to clear your good name, Mr. President. Come on out, you know, um, you know. But instead, what they're trying to do is is you know stonewall any sort of investigation. You know, Nadler's been a, a key player in this whole impeachment from the beginning. You know, he as you know a chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the House worked on drafting some of the articles, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And yeah, he's been a key player. You know, led many of those uh, hearings wherein you know you'd have questions from the Democrats and you would have shouting or, you know, parliamentary inquiries from the Republicans, wherein it was, you know, that was that it was, you know, kind of a ridiculous display. But one thing that's been consistent is Nadler has taken this very seriously. He understands that his actions, every speech, it's going to be, it's going to go down in history as him having played a key role in this impeachment. And so he understands the gravitas with which he acts and speaks, and he's taking it seriously. Unlike many of his colleagues, you know, on the other side, who are just kind of using ridiculous language and arguments to try and like try and stonewall this whole impeachment investigation. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. it's theatrics. Yeah. And in basically this is being handed over from, you know, Schiff and Pelosi and Nadler. And then now we, we kind of have to look to the, the minority leader, uh, Chuck Schumer um, and what he's going to do, uh, what kind of pressure he can, he can push. Um, I'll, I'll run a clip on him, um, him speaking at the impeachment. The first point that I would like to make is that the president's counsel did something that they did not intend. They made a really compelling case for why the Senate should call witnesses and documents. They kept saying there are no eyewitness accounts, but there are people who have eyewitness accounts. The very four witnesses and the very four sets of documents that we have asked for. They made the argument that no one really knows what the president intended. It's speculation what the president intended when he cut off aid. But there are people who do know. Mick Mulvaney knows. In all likelihood, Mr. Blair knows, Mr. Bolton may know. 
Why shouldn't we have witnesses and documents here? The President's counsels criticizing the case against the President for lack of sources close to the President, while at the same time blocking testimony from witnesses close to the President. It makes no sense. So the bottom line is very simple. We've been making the argument that we need witnesses, we need documents. We're making the argument that it won't take very long to get them as part of the trial. Today, we thank the President's counsel for one thing. They made our case even stronger. Yeah, no, I, I, I really like how it kind of flips what the, again, the President's counsel was saying, you know, the idea that, you know, if we just had more information, you'd see that, that you know, our client is innocent of these charges. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at the same time, you know, they're explaining why we can't access that information. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Locking it. You know, it, anybody with any common sense knows that that's a bad faith argument. Yeah. And if, if you were truly innocent by any degree, the truth would only set you free here. Releasing those documents, letting those witnesses speak. But clearly the opposite is true here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they'll fight that tooth and nail. I mean, Mitch McConnell, he has all the control. And we got kind of a, a rapid fire eclipse here, but we really wanted to show the importance and the leaders that are that are out there in the House and in, in the Senate fighting against this impeachment. Um, we're going to play another clip on, on witnesses. Um, last one on that. In the course of their presentation, they kept emphasizing the importance of witnesses and documents. They raised the argument, well, that possibly the president had a policy reason for denying aid. Now remember that every time the team was asked, the top team was asked, they'd say the president gave no reason, no reason. Well, so if they want to prove that the president had good policy reasons, that's access to witnesses and documents. He talks about specifically the argument that many in the GOP, as well as the president's counsel, are making that he had legitimate reasons to do what he did with Ukraine. And that, of course, this was all legitimate. These were presidential actions he was taking. You could support those claims with evidence, with documents, and with witnesses, but they don't supply those things because it's simply not true. Um, yeah, they're just going to stonewall this whole thing. Uh, it also plays into, you know, even our local senator here, Cory Gardner, you know, bent the knee to Trump. I would expect this to be his last year as a senator as he is up for reelection. And I don't think the people of Colorado are very happy with their representation. Yeah, the people of Colorado, even like polled conservatively, have like a 54 to 55% approval for impeachment. And so there is a, you know, you call a majority of Coloradans are supporting impeachment. Yet, you know, Cory Gardner refuses to even pursue a reasonable investigation. I mean, uh, a couple months ago in October, he was asked by some reporters as to whether or not it would be appropriate for a president of the United States to ask a foreign leader to investigate a political opponent, yes or no. And he couldn't 
you know, give a straight answer. This was while they were having the impeachment hearings. And right after Trump had made the statement on the White House lawn about calling for China to do the same and these other countries to do the same, Cory Gardner couldn't answer a set up question of just saying, do you think it's appropriate for a president to ask foreign leaders to investigate a political opponent? Yes or no? And we have a clip on that. Interesting to listen to as it kind of Cory Gardner thinks about um, the impeachment process and what it would take for him to really consider it. Do you believe it's appropriate for the president of the United States to ask a foreign leader to investigate a political rival? Yes or no? Well, look, this is what we're going to get into. The Senate Intelligence Committee is having an investigation, a bipartisan investigation. Unfortunately, though, what we've seen is a very political process take over. If you look at Al Green in Texas, member of Congress, has said, we need to impeach President Trump now because we might not be able to beat him in November. That's about politics. That's not what the serious investigation should be about. But, but is you, it? But is it? But is it? Joe, I've answered your question. No, you, no, you didn't. Is, okay. it, is it? A y- yes. Is, is it a yes or? Is it a yes or no? Well, here's yes. the here's what we see in the is House of Representatives. You see a very partisan process taking place. Why is it that when you all do stories or we see reports in the news, it's about four states? Colorado, Arizona, Maine, and North Carolina. Seems to be about politics and elections other than the serious process that it is. But the question is, is it appropriate for a president Look, to I think be we are going to have an investigation, and it's a, it's a nonpartisan investigation. Senator, it's a yes nonpartisan no investigation. It's an answer that you get from a very serious investigation. But would you be okay with it if it was a Democrat asking a foreign government? Look, here's what we're doing. What we saw, saw immediately was a jump to a very partisan, very partisan, serious the use of a tool in the Constitution. Uh, this is about an investigation that's taking place at the Senate Intelligence Committee. That's where it should be. What we've seen from the House of Representatives and Nancy Pelosi is a very partisan, partisanized effort. Why other, other, what other reason do you have to cover four states every time you do a story on this? It, it's about Colorado. It, it's about California. You, it's about North Carolina and Arizona. That's what you're saying over and over again in all these stories. Is it okay so this you? is a serious time. A very serious investigation. Let's have that investigation. Is it okay for you to ask? Look, you know what I have said before. You know what I've said before. This is about. We want to hear from you. You're a smart guy. You know the debate. This is about the politics of the moment, and that's why they're trying to do this now. Look, the American people are going to have a choice in an election coming up. They're going to see this very uh, transparent, I hope, investigation. But right now, what you're seeing is Nancy Pelosi and the House of Representatives trying to drive a very partisan process, and I'm not going to fall into that before we get all of the facts and we see the results of a serious nonpartisan investigation. So what's nice is he at least wants a serious <laughs> investigation with all the facts. And so, you know, it's now my my assumption that Corey's going to call immediately for, you know, witnesses, documents and everything. Oh, wait. Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, for some reason, I doubt he'll do anything like that. Unfortunately, you know, for, you know, we recorded this, I was looking for clips, like more recent clips of him with impeachment. This was one of them. And it's months old. So the guy has been in hiding, you know, in regards to speaking on impeachment. So he's likely not going to want to follow through with what he was saying there. It's interesting how, again, he just was, you know, Sidestep, 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 yeah. <laughs> politics, partisanship, politics, partisanship. He wasn't taking the question seriously. And, you know, just your classic political dodges of questions there without ever answering anything. And his, and his dodge is funny because, I mean, he he's almost not wrong about how hyper-partisan it is right now on, on both sides. You know, look at it yeah. in the political context. And, and to me, that is the best outcome politically 
because we're, we are going to be pressuring Corey Gardner here in Colorado. They are going to be pressuring Susan Collins there in Maine. You know, a, a lot of Republican senators live in states that don't like Trump. And yep. they bend the knee to him and are going to do whatever they that he asks for. And they're going to protect him as much as possible. But we'll also hold them in their reelections. I think quite a yeah. few of them. I mean, they're they're all they're gambling on the idea that you know Trump's base is going to be enough to win their reelection. You know, the re- one of the reasons that is one of the reasons they continue to kind of toe the line is in large part because they they fear Trump campaigning for one of their opponents in a, in a uh, state election. Mm-hmm. So they know that if Trump were to come out and you know tweet about them or shame them, like. He would definitely do if they were the first, second, third, fourth, fifth Republican to come out in support of this impeachment. Like we need, you know, we need numbers like that for for this process to even get rolling. Mm-hmm. Their career would be over as a Republican because you know Trump would turn the whole the whole party against them. You know, with with his use of social media, it, it's kind of been his way of purging. You know, both the the government. <laughs> You know that he hasn't entirely succeeded in doing mm-hmm. so, as well as the party. He's you know getting those who are purely behind Trump. You know the never Trumpers are fewer and fewer nowadays, and you know they don't exist in the Senate. Yeah. So do remember, folks. You know Cory Gardner here. He, he he will be on the ballot for 2020. His opponents being John Hickenlooper or Andrew Romanoff. You know either of whom would be better than Cory yes. Gardner. It's important that we that we take a look not only at the presidential election. But we follow through with the legislative branch and elect people that are willing to 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 draft and pass laws. Yeah. And, and you know, he even brought a few of those states up where there's going to be some senators in heat. Um, you know, they're going to be sweating when it comes to the vote. Um, Maine, he'd mentioned North Carolina, Colorado, um, California. Those are states that don't like Trump. You know, they may have a large Republican base, but they're they're not a fan of Trump. Um, and I, I think they're going to be they're going to be sweating it out when it comes to election time for them. Um, all four of those states have have senators up for reelection in 2020. Um, but you know, beyond the the political implications, we can even you know just look at the evidence of what's going on. You know, we have countless testimonies in the House. You know, even Yovanovitch herself coming out and testifying. Tons of nonpartisan people. People that work in the government but aren't part of a, you know, don't associate themselves with a political party. You know, it's work and politics is still separated for them um, somewhat. One recent development that was pretty striking, you know, in in the past, I think was even in the past 24 hours, Lev Parnas, a ex-associate of Rudy Giuliani, has been singing like a bird. Mm And uh, he and his attorney leaked audio of Trump ordering the removal of Yovanovitch, saying they needed to get rid of her. Again, Yovanovitch was the ambassador who testified during the impeachment hearings. She was the ambassador to Ukraine during all of this business with the, the call to Ukraine, the withholding of aid. She was specifically seen as somebody who would stand in the way of, of what they were trying to do there yeah. as Yovanovitch was a staunch opponent of corruption in in the area. She was seen as a, a, a potential uh, threat to the whole plot. Which is why they also had, you know, the ambassador of the EU, Sondland, do a lot of the duties that Yovanovitch should have been doing. 
But yeah, here we'll roll that right here. Being us basically and dealing with Russia, uh, and that's why you're having such. Yes. I think uh, if you take a look, the biggest problem there, I think where we where you need to start is we gotta get rid of the ambassador. Is she still left over from the Clinton administration? Where the ambassador? Where Ukraine? Yeah, and she's basically walking around telling everybody, "Wait, he's gonna get impeached. Uh, just wait." I mean, really? it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's incredible. It's like, Here we go tomorrow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, What's your uh, I don't remember I don't the name. Have name of back. <laughs> So one yeah, of the things that yeah. will be now that we have a secretary of state that's been sworn get rid of her. her right. One of the first okay, things get her out tomorrow. We'll, uh, I don't care. Get her out tomorrow. <laughs> Take her out. Okay. Excellent. Do it. Make a note. Excellent. Congratulations. <laughs> Take her out. Yeah, that's very mob boss like. Definitely interesting. The um, Leparnas's attorney is saying that he has more where this came from. Uh, I would love to hear it. Uh, I hate the drip feed of this kind of stuff. And so, you know, the earlier we hear this kind of stuff, the better. Um, it's crazy to think that a recording like this was even possible to think that somebody could just, you know, set a phone on a table and start recording next to the president of the United States in some meeting is terrifying. You know, like what's the social, what's the secret service doing when, when that's happening? There's just nothing, I guess. But yeah, it just shows more details to the conspiracy of what they had tried to do in Ukraine shows how it wasn't part of official U.S. government business or policy in the in Ukraine. Uh, it was part of furthering his own political agenda. I mean, this paints the picture. Oh, yeah. And let alone to, to lose a career diplomat that had been with us since the Clinton administration and had been doing a good job. <laughs> is ridiculous think of the waste of 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 money that it took to develop such an individual here in this in the united states and then just to you know call them for political reasons it's just irresponsible and and my and my biggest takeaway from it is you know you hear lev parnas say it you know about ivanovich and but then people are talking and I, i just picture him soaking that in and getting angry and then he just cuts everybody off and is just get rid of her, take her out. You know, that's shows his, his character. That's all it takes for the narcissist in chief, yeah. you know, is just a, a single attack on his character and you're gone. And, you know, and, and Lev now has done, uh, he did a, a pretty extensive interview with Rachel Maddow. I think he did another one on CNN um, recently, but I did like from, from the Maddow interview, you know, she she's kind of asking. You know, what's what's the big secret here? What's the biggest? What's being misunderstood the most? Um, and he kind of lays it out for us. Um, I'll roll that so you guys can hear that. What do you think is the main inaccuracy or the main lie that's being told that you feel like you can correct? That the president didn't know what was going on. Uh, president Trump knew exactly what was going on. Uh, he was aware of all of my movements. Uh, he, I wouldn't do anything without the consent of Rudy Giuliani or the president. I have no intent, I have no reason to speak to any of these officials. I mean, they have no reason to speak to me. Why would President Zelensky's inner circle or the minister of Akov or all these people or President Poroshenko meet with me? Who am I? Mm-hmm. They were told to meet with me and uh, that's the secret that they're trying to keep. I was on the ground doing their work. In terms of the president and what he has said about you, um, 
he said about you and Mr. Fruman, Igor Fruman, I don't know those gentlemen, I don't know about them, I don't know what they do. You're saying that was not a true statement from the president. He lied. I mean, we're not friends. I mean, when you say friends, I mean, me and him didn't watch football games together. We didn't eat hot dogs. But he knew exactly who we were. He knew exactly who I was, especially because I interacted with him at a lot of events. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations with him at uh, um, gatherings where they would have special, like these round tables where there would be only six people at a table. We've had several of those. And basically, I mean, I was with Rudy more than, uh, I mean, four or five days out of the week. I mean, and I was in content, con constant contact with him. So, and I was with Rudy when he would speak to the president plenty of times. I mean, so it's just ludicrous. You've been with Mr. Giuliani when, he was, Giuliani when he was on the phone with the president? Absolutely. And how would you know that he was on the phone with the president? Would it be on speakerphone or you well, could just Well, several times it would be on speakerphone where he would like start the conversation on speakerphone and then take it off and then go somewhere sideways, you know, to talk to him. But a lot of times it would be on the golf course when we would golfing together, especially I remember during the Mueller uh, times where uh, Rudy, I remember, said something that he didn't appreciate or was taken out of context and he was screaming at him so loud. That's why when I watched the impeachment and I saw the testimony about the Sutherland, that I reiterate, uh, I could understand that uh, you could hear President Trump talking next to, like I heard him several times when he was with Rudy. Because he speaks loudly on the phone. Very loudly, yeah. When you say that the president... And, and you know that the clip we played previously is proof of that. You know, he, they've continually lied about you know, their involvement with Lev Parnas from Giuliani to Trump, um, you know, and he's going to keep singing as well as I think Lev was the fall guy and they were going to throw him under the bus. It's backfiring on them. And I, I, I hope they try it to Giuliani. I hope he's the next fall guy because he said on record that he has his own insurance policy uh, to protect himself. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy to think that all these, you know, all these criminals are sitting around recording one another mm -hmm. to acquire blackmail in the event that they turn on one another, as it sounds like they're doing. Well, and they, I think they know how he is, that he will, he'll back somebody and then flip on a dime and he will throw you right back under the bus. So yeah, get your insurance policy while you, while you got it. <laughs> Probably why Omarosa was recording while she was in the mm -hmm. office. Um, you know, if not just for her book deal as well. I mean, it's, you know, a house of lies in there, you know, and it's it's interesting. Uh, the leaks continue, you know, even, even after his, his attacks on any sort of leakers in the administration. So in conclusion, the impeachment tears on. It's important that you know, we try and push, you know, one of our senators, Cory Gardner, to support calling for witnesses. So we at least get to hear from people like John Bolton, Mick Mulvaney, and others in the administration that have played a role in this whole scandal and this, you know, conspiracy. And it's important that we reach out to them. One really easy way to do so that I've been using for a few years now, um, texting service called ResistBot. Basically, you can contact your officials in two minutes or so. You using it, you can either write them letters, you can use it to call them and have it connect your phone to their office's line. Essentially, all you have to do is text the word resist to 50409. Uh, it's free. You can also text resist bot on Messenger, Twitter, or Telegram. Uh, just send the word resist to it. It's a free service 
you know, it'll automatically help you get registered to vote. If you're not, it'll check to see if you're registered to vote. It can update your voting information, can help you contact your officials on just about any level of government from the governor to your senators, Congress people in the house. I, I think there's even an option for president. You might be able to write the president a letter, not to say that he'd ever read it, but it's Definitely a useful tool for anybody that's looking to get involved as a citizen. Ultimately, it might help to have Gardner's office flooded with requests that he just do his job and ask for witnesses. Take the take the two minutes to text resist spot and just ask Corey Gardner to do his job and and uh, have a fair trial. Call witnesses. Say you want to hear from Mick Mulvaney and, and the rest. It's important we flesh this out so that, you know future presidents aren't able to abuse their office to this capacity. Absolutely. Yeah, put the pressure on. Uh, we really need it for the, the, the impeachment hearing. So if you can make calls on that, find your local senator, you, whether you're using ResistBot or if you just know offhand and gather information, you know, pressure them as much as possible um, if, if you have an opinion about the impeachment. And remember how important it is to get registered to vote if you aren't already. Again, you can use ResistBot to register to vote pretty quickly. I don't know if it's two minutes, probably closer to five. You can also get registered online in Colorado. You know, if you're in Colorado, you can get a register online. A lot of other states, it's similar. Mm. Get registered. Get a friend to register. And that's what it's going to take here to turn the tide in 2020. Was there any sort of uh, cause you wanted to advocate or support? Um, really, it's just canvassing for the politicians that you're supporting. With Bernie, they have you know they have a great app where you can shows you canvassing maps, things like that. Um, get out there and knock on doors, even if it's something as simple as jumping on, making texts and phone calls for for the campaign. Especially as it's getting closer and closer to Iowa um, and uh, and New Hampshire, but you know leading up to your state's caucuses or primaries, um, get out there if you if you feel strongly about it. It it does more than you really think it does. Yeah, I mean, it's about having those conversations, you know, those important conversations about how it matters to us. Trying and relate uh, the importance to people specifically, you know, it can help everybody realize why it's so important we all participate. And, and we all have so much in common that we don't even recognize. Regardless of our, our, you know, party lines, a lot more of us need Medicare. You know, we all need um, the social programs like social security and, and school programs and things like that. A lot of things build the bridges over the gaps of the party lines. Um, but a lot of people are hyper-partisan like we've been talking about nowadays. Oh yeah. I mean, it's important that we stop thinking so much about party and start thinking a lot more about policy. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we look at policy, we find a lot more that unites Americans and divides, Absolutely. you know, we're, it's it's really easy to politicize an issue and try and cut it 50-50 when in reality it's a lot more, you know, 80-20 than most people think. You know, when, when we're talking about issues that are even thought to be contentious, like raising the minimum wage, when we're talking about, you know, reasonable gun control laws. Even single-payer health care rates pretty high. I mean, these are things that enjoy popular support amongst Americans. And so let's, you know, let's work to get ourselves some candidates that can that can help further those those ideas. You know, a better world is possible. That's one thing worth remembering. Uh, history, we see this general trend of society improving. It's up to us to to carry on that mantle and to continue to improve where we can.
A few campaigns I wanted to plug at the very end, and I know I did plug this during the first episode, but of course the Bernie Sanders campaign, you know, not me, us, it, you know, it takes us all. Uh, BernieSanders.com, Andrew Romanoff for U.S. Senate, specifically for the Colorado seat. Um, I really recommend him at AndrewRomanoff.com. Definitely the ideal replacement for Cory Gardner. Uh, you know, this guy cares about uh, issues regarding climate change, quality, you know, fighting hate, that sort of thing, hate speech and the like. We got the local Denver DSA, definitely a worthy cause. And then finally, two charities worth donating to that are, you know, tax deductible, uh, the American Civil Liberties Union and Planned Parenthood, both of which are fighting for uh, civil liberties across the United States as we speak. So that's all. Yeah. I and the only thing I'd have to build on that is, you know, we talked about it earlier, support small independent media, um, whether it's big ones like the Young Turks um or you know kyle kalinsky or if it's you know more medium-sized ones like majority of porter david packman um a lot of really good information there um you know steer steer away from the tv news go out there oh, yeah. and find the news uh that's that's really it anymore yeah diversify your research across a great many um you know medias and mediums you know don't um don't watch. I wouldn't recommend watching anything like CNN or uh, or MSNBC, because when it comes down to it, you gotta wonder, you know, where where's their money coming from? Who's keeping their lights on? Mm-hmm. Um, and what? Why do they have to benefit in, in pushing these narratives? And in truth, they do. So, um, you know, look at look at other alternative news sources like Steve's saying that that specifically, um, you know aren't as funded by dirty money and the like one really solid news source is democracy. Now. I really like that one. They're not funded by the, um, any sort of industrial, um, military complex. Free speech TV. Yeah. Free speech TV. Solid. The young Turks are really good. Um, again, it's just about following the money people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, take a look at, you know, who's paying to, to, to run these corporations and whether or not they are corporations, you know, yeah. <laughs> a few different things. Um, and we'll, we're definitely, you know, we got some some new stuff coming up for you guys too. Um, we're, we're kind of switching our format from that first episode, um, but we would definitely want to have, you know, bonus content throughout the week for you guys, things like that. Um, we're going to, you know, record a little bit more regularly. Got off to a rough start, but um, that could be it for us today. Uh, yeah, I think that's going to be everything. So, you know, signing off. Policy Please with Paul Nelson and Steve Fredette. You guys have a great rest of your weekend.